Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Get Your Comic On. My name is Neil. And I am Martin. And today we are going to be talking about the fourth episode of Doom Patrol, which was called Cult Patrol. Let's start out with a little snippet of the trailer. You get down here and you eat this fucking cake, Elliot! You all come with us. Hey, you ready to fight? Yes, sir. No, you fucked all the way up now. You're pissing me off even more than she did. Nernheim sucks. I am being a good person, and you are absolutely ruining this moment for me. So shut up and pick up the stupid beat. The eye will be summoned. The decreator. The world will be unmade. Who is this guy? Is someone's uncle? There will be spoilers in this podcast, you have been warned. This episode has got a typically short synopsis from DC Universe, which reads, Willoughby Kipling, guest star Mark Shepard, conscripts the Doom Patrol into helping him avert the end of the world by stopping a nihilistic cult. I gave this episode an 8 out of 10 in my written review. My verdict was... Whilst Cult Patrol might not live up to the previous episode, it is still an incredibly solid entry in the series. There are so many subtle references and story beats that repeated watches make this episode well worth mining for more. I'm going to throw this one over to you to start with. Give us your initial thoughts on Cult Patrol. It was alright. You didn't like this one as much, did you? No, so the first time I was a bit like, oh. But then the second time I liked it a bit more, I'll be honest with you. So I was the same, although not quite to the same level as you. The first time we watched it, I did think it was much slower. But then the second time I watched it, I actually thought it was excellent. It had quite a hard act to follow with Puppet Patrol, because that was such a good episode, and I was expecting it to be even better than that. Were you, okay, were you really thinking it could get even better than it did? Well, I was hoping it could do. I always expected that this episode would be a little bit of a downer. Which is not really a downer. It's still excellent. It's just not as excellent. And I think part of that is because it's a two-part episode. Well, at least two parts. Because we know that the story's continuing next week. So I do wonder if slowing the story down for the sake of it being a two-parter is part of the... I will say part of the problem, but problem is not really the word I mean. It's part of the whole not being quite as exciting because it's a longer story. Yeah, I would agree. It was a bit of a slow burner to start with, but then I got into it and I got a bit excited and it still had the sort of the zaniness of the Doom Patrol. Oh, completely. It was still absolutely nuts. With the Sriracha Rosary. You're jumping towards the end now. Start at the beginning. So, opening scene. Mum, dad, little kid, covered in tattoos. Clearly something is not right here. He's getting older. Tattoos are getting more and more because the book is being written. And then you get that poor dad saying, run, run, before the mum slits his throat. Which leads up to a scene which I'm sure you very much enjoyed. Yes, I very much enjoyed the scene where she's chasing up the stairs being all like, oh, come get your cake. I made it specially for you. And then she goes into like weird, super crazy killer mum. 
I'm not going to do it. Okay. Well, for the sake of me having to put a bleep over it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It was really w- weird. It's the best way to describe this episode. Um, but, despite being slower paced and not having quite... I was about to say not having quite as much action, but there's one amazing action sequence in it. Not having quite so much going on, there's still a lot of the character stuff that if you've been listening to our previous podcast, you'll know that we're really enjoying about this series. So I think that this episode very much belongs to Rita, who I feel very proud of in this episode for the fact that she stopped him from uh, jumping off the ledge. Yeah, I think Rita is now fastly becoming my favourite character, even though if you listen back to the first episode where I had a real issue with Rita and the leg. <laughs> there's not anything melty. Oh, there's an arm. There's a stretchy arm in this one. Yeah, that was exciting, because then she's like proper girl now. Elasta woman. Oh, whatever. Elasta person, actually. <laughs> no, it's just Elasta woman because she's not a girl. Yeah, so we've got to see some real Elasta woman action with the stretchy arm. Yep. And that was very well done. And There's a lot of humanity to her in this episode, though, because she was overlooked at the beginning, and Cyborg is clearly freezing her out because he's pissed off with her for what happened in the last episode. And so. She is very much on the outside, and I think a little bit bullied, to be honest, and then steps up by trying to leave the house and run away when she catches Elliot on the ledge and then saves him, and then you get that amazing moment where they're trying to pick up all the beads off the floor, and when he says to her, this is completely futile, we're probably all just going to die, and she's like, stop ruining this, I'm trying to be a good person! It's just perfectly in character for her, that she does something nice and then gets really annoyed when someone doesn't allow her to be nice, because Mm. that's the role she's playing this week. And you don't think it sort of harks back to that sort of the baby scene where she's being very motherly to yeah, the boy? Yeah, she is. So she's looking after him because he's, he's got no one else in the world to look after him. He's completely on his own. His dad's dead. His mum's evil. He's just realised that he's the vessel of the de-creator. Before we go completely all over the place with this whole episode and go around the houses, that was Rita. What about Cliff in this episode? There's quite a lot of Cliff going on here. Yeah. So there's some flashbacks... Or some dream sequences, should I say, where you see his daughter and you get a little bit more of the daddy-daughter relationship. But they explore quite a lot of his relationship with Crazy Jane in this episode and you get to understand that actually he kind of sees her as his daughter. Yeah, so he's kind of take that. He's trying to take on the fatherly protective role, especially with some of Jane's alter egos, like the little girl um, whose name I can't remember... With the pigtails. Little baby. Little baby cakes. Yeah, that's something. Pancake. That's I've got the RuPaul place now. Uh, yeah, but you know, she's you know, we're trying to develop that sort of his paternalistic nature, trying to undo the the relationship he never had with his daughter, really. In some weird dysfunctional way. And they obviously get paired off together as well, because when they go to Nurnheim. Which we'll get to in a minute. Nurnheim. They are paired off together again. And they've been paired off together in almost every episode so far. Because they went together into the town in the pilot episode. They have been. They seem to be the two that get paired off together a lot. And then, obviously, the flip side to that being that Larry gets paired up with Rita. And that's picked up on again in this episode. When she says, "Who's who have I got standing in my corner? So they're the, kind of the outsiders, really. So they don't really want to be the heroes. No. They want to be the... They want to just hide away, really. Sticking with Cliff and Jane, she obviously isn't very happy at being his daughter because when, when they're in Nurnheim and the, the sort of the weird, crazy Harley Quinn-esque queen is showing them each what they, how they see themselves 
What did she show them? How they see themselves? Yeah, she goes on a big rant about perception and how we perceive yourself and each other. Yeah, so it's how we see ourselves, how they see each other, and how they really are. So he sees himself as himself. She doesn't know how to see herself because there's 64 of them. She saw herself as a little girl called Kate. Yes. Then he sees her as his daughter. How did she see him? Um, covered in blood from... That's it. She, oh, yeah. So she saw him episodes. as he was from the Fooktopia episode. And then, obviously, when they sh- yeah when they showed them themselves, that she's a little girl called Kate or Kate or something like that, and he's just a brain on the floor. Which leads us nicely to her. There was a lot that I really liked with her this week. Like, for instance, the fact that Jane wasn't in this episode at all. No. Jane, the body, was there, but not Jane, the personality. She's done a runner because she's so scared of what she saw in the last episode, which I thought was actually quite a nice little touch. And I know we saw that she was affected by it, but I didn't think they would take it quite that far. I didn't think it would carry into this episode. Yeah, so we've got to see a lot more of Hammerhead. Hammerhead was in this a lot, and the little English maid, whose name also escapes me, but she was quite funny. She did a good English accent, though. She did a very good English accent. So we're going to see a bit more about sort of... Oh, and actually, just for people, sorry, people who have listened to the previous episodes, I now know that the one who spits the silver words is called Silver Tongue, which makes perfect sense, really. But now I know her name. Yeah. But yeah, so we're going to see a bit more of sort of this weird backstory to Hammerhead when we go and see the priest. Yeah, there was a lot going on there. We really should start structuring these conversations. (laughs) So when they went to the church, that was quite interesting. She was really quite heavily affected by that. Yeah, how many people have you hurt? Yeah. All the trust, and then she's trying to sort of bludgeon them with the crucifix. There's going to be more to that this week, because they're going to go back in time to the 70s this week, in the second part. That's a spoiler for next week. So what do you think of Cyborg in this episode? He was a bit of a pain in this episode. He was a bit... I suppose he's a bit hormonal. That's sort of... I felt like he was a little bit stuck up in this episode. I, the way he spoke to Rita was not very nice. And he clearly now sees himself as the leader because he thinks if he is the leader, that'll show him in a good light for when he wants to join the Justice League and whatever else he wants to do. He obviously has aspirations and he obviously has been acting as a hero for a while. It just doesn't c- come off very well here when he's trying to again rally the troops and have a team meeting and everyone's just kind of talking back at him and saying we're not a team this isn't a team he just in those scenes he just comes off as a bit arrogant that was the word I'm looking for to me not unlikable in the same way that all of them are arrogant in their own way but they're not unlikable they just I feel like he's put himself on a pedestal which is like he thinks he is the best of them which he isn't necessarily he's as flawed as everyone else but I did love the CGI when his hand turned into a cannon his sonic boom. Gun. I know you were complaining that it was orange, not blue. Yeah, but you know, I can live with that. What did you think of Cyborg in this episode? Yeah, I mean, he was alright. I mean, I didn't think he was... I didn't find him overly arrogant. I did find... I, I kind of thought that he was trying to sort of goad Rita into stepping up to be a hero. There is that. I think there was a. There was definitely a, an aspect of him trying to goad her into being a better person. He obviously knows that it, the humanity is inside her somewhere. So there's a bit of a there's a fine line between goading and just being a bit of a a douche. Yes. Um You definitely seem to enjoy the scene where he was having a weapons check. Yes, that was exciting. 
this could be good to see like some proper cyborg comic action. He's not said booyah yet. I no, I'm not really expecting him to say booyah if I'm honest. He has to say it at some point. Even just like a as like a little joke. But then we said this about Robin saying Titans go, and that never happened. Well, there weren't Titans yet, yet there were they? And these guys aren't the Doom Patrol yet. Well, it doesn't mean you can't say booyah. <laughs> what about Larry? So we've obviously singled out Larry a lot in previous conversations about how much he's one of our favourite characters. How did you feel about him in this episode? Yeah, I mean, he didn't have a huge amount in this episode. I did say in my review that he takes a bit of a backseat after being an important character last week. But Which then, is good. there are still some very important scenes with him in, or a very important scene, should I say, which would be when uh, the, the the energy thing inside him wakes him up twice watching a videotape of himself in the past talking to the chief. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's interesting. So it's almost going to be like he needs to accept himself before energy blueness man will sort of engage with him, I reckon. Yeah. I think that's where we're trying to go with that storyline. How did you interpret the scene where Niles Calder has invented a device that the energy thing can go into so that it can then communicate? We didn't get to hear his name, but all he managed to say was torture. Now, do you feel like he was trying to say something about he was torturing Larry? Or do you think that he was actually asking for help and saying that being inside Larry is torture? I think it's probably going to be torture for both of them, really. So, <laughs> yeah. so Pain for everyone. Yeah. So torture in the fact that he's trapped inside Larry's body and then torture for the fact that Larry's probably torturing himself. Yeah, that's true. If he's living Larry's life and is feeling what Larry's feeling, then maybe that, in a way, is part of what the torture is, that he's having to deal with Larry's inner turmoil. Yeah, I think we're getting all deep and meaningful here. Oh, really? Well, we're, to, we're talking about the existential crisis of Larry and what it means to be tortured. True, yeah. Well, they all have their own little existential crises in a way. Even uh, not Constantine. I couldn't think of his name there. Will, Will, Holly Willoughby? Kipple, Kippleby? Kippleby? Willie, Willie Kipple. Willie Wonka? Willoughby Kipling. <laughs> so Kipling, which is Mark Shepard, um... He has a lot that's going on as well. Yeah, I've never come across that character before. Do we have any... Give us us some backstory. I have never come across him in comic books either. So I felt very much like he was somebody I've never met before. Which is interesting because I do... I do frequent the worlds of Constantine and the Justice League Darks and it's not a name I've ever come across so Willoughby Kipling's a fictional character in the Vertigo comics and later DC Comics fictional universes and was created by ah of course he was created by Grant Morrison he first appeared in Doom Patrol issue number 31 in April 1990 Kipling appears mostly in Doom Patrol comic series so the fact that we've never really read all that much Doom Patrol will be why we've never come across him the character was originally intended to be Vertigo comics version of John Constantine which makes perfect sense given the way his character was but at the time, DC Comics' editorial policy forbade Constantine's use outside of Vertigo continuity. Kipling was created as a substitute and based upon Richard E. Grant's title character from the British cult film With Nail and I. I can completely see that. You've probably never seen that film, have you? No. That, that does make sense. He appeared intermittently helping the team against various threats, such as the cult of the unwritten book, who we see in this episode themselves, and the Candlemaker. So actually, this is just another way of the show adapting Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol. So he is a member of the Mystic Knights Templar and a coward who practices a bizarre form of black magic and is a self-proclaimed expert of the occult. Hmm. 
It was interesting when Cyborg said he was a well-known chaos magician as well. I thought it was an interesting turn of phrase. Yeah, because then it kind of thinks, oh, we're going to start to bring in the... <coughs> and we're going to explore that a bit further with the sort of... The likes of Dr. Fate being a... That's a, true. A man of order. And then we're bringing in the chaos. And then you could bring in, like, the witch child. What's his name? Uh, I can never remember his name. Because he's a chaos The kid with the cat well. and the horns. Yeah. Clary and the witch boy. But that could fit in quite nicely if we're going to have, like, a, a, something like a Doom Patrol slash Titans crossover at some point as well. Because it'll fit in with the it could all. Stuff. It could all tie in quite nicely, couldn't it? That could be the way of them setting up a universe if that's what they... If that's what they're planning on doing, they have said that not everything's going to tie together. But it would be nice to have them tying together since Doom Patrol came out of Titans. So. Yeah, I have heard it said that there it's a, it's a different Doom Patrol to the, what we saw. But that's I think that's just time period settings and just obviously the DC Universe is still trying to figure out exactly what it's going to be. So, I liked when he pulled out his flaming sword though when we got to the fight sequence. That was my highlight of this episode. Was that weird fight with the paper men yes I felt like as we were watching it that was the moment when you suddenly went from thinking this was a bit of a dull episode to being sucked into it a bit more um yeah so the, I think the, the fight did liven it up quite a bit towards the end it was an interesting spin with the knights of the straight razors wherever they were knights of the straight razors yeah the nuns with the razors oh yeah yeah and then the paper men as well. So they were an interesting concept. The so paper un- men were excellent. I undelivered really mail that. and dead skin. That was that was some good CGI as well, I thought, for the episode. Which ended on a bit of a wonky note with the big eye in the sky. But um, I really liked the weird concept. So what did they... He called them pain surgeons. Uh, he said they are, they're surgeons of pain made out of unsent letters. And dead skin. And dead skin. And then every time one of them got hit, they turned into a flurry of unwritten letters, which I thought was just really... It was quite a funky little image to see on screen. Very Harry Potter-esque. Yeah, it's just kind of not the... <laughs> With added violence. Yeah. It's not the letter from Hogwarts that you really want, really. <laughs> it's the letter from Hogwarts you don't want to say you're in detention. Yeah. But it did, as... Having been a slow episode, it sped itself up at the end through that sequence, I thought. So although it was a slow episode, I was never bored at any point. I still kept. No, I didn't. I didn't think it was boring at any point. I could just tell that you were slightly disengaged with it because there was a little bit less going on, and then obviously, that happened, and suddenly it got a bit more interesting. Yeah, and then the big eye and. Yeah, so that's obviously the decreator. So the episode doesn't really end on a very happy note because the world is now being decreated, so they failed, which is typically what the Doom Patrol do. Well, they're not really a team yet, are they? So, No, and who's in that last scene? Who's missing? So Elliot's been kidnapped and his, the book has been read. So you see Rita and Cyborg. Oh, obviously you see Rita and... Yeah, Rita, Cyborg and um, Larry with Willoughby. Holly Willoughby, I'm calling him that again. Yeah, uh, because Cliff and... Cliff and the Jane are still in Nurnheim. Which is actually in uh, Snow Globe in the living room. I loved that twist. Because if did you notice that when they arrived in Nernheim, uh, he said, I feel like I've seen this place before. Yeah. And she said, this isn't snow. And I didn't I didn't really think anything of the, the snow comment, but I did wonder why he said they'd seen it before. And I was staring at it thinking, is this like a weird model version of Paraguay or something? 
And then obviously you realise it's the snow globe that's sitting in the living room in Doom Manor. I really liked the set design in the snow globe as well. Yeah, it was very blue and very... It looked like a snow globe, to be fair. It, it was. When, when you watch it the second time, it does look like the buildings are made of plastic. I t- this is going to sound really sad and really boring now. But I, I kept, every time I've watched that scene, I keep wondering how much of it they actually built and how much of it was CGI. Like, I wonder if they built the whole front of the buildings or if they only built half. You're looking at me as if to say, why would they build half? Well, then make the rest of it CGI. Yes. Can you name me a TV series that didn't do that and did build a whole set that had a roof, which is unusual? Give me a hint. <laughs> it's a DC Comics show. Mm. No. The Wonder Woman. No. Gotham. The GCPD is one of the largest sets that's been built in recent memory and it's one of the only ones that has a roof. So the GCPD has an actual roof on the set, whereas most shows don't. So like on uh, on Arrow, for instance, do you remember when they went to Nanda Parbat to visit Rachel Ghoul? His palace, they only built half walls and everything else is CGI because then you can film from any angle over the top, which they can't in the GCPD building because there's a roof there. Oh, well, who knew? Here's <laughs> an interesting fact for you. So I just wondered whether the buildings were done like that or whether they'd actually bothered to build the whole thing. Obviously, they didn't build the palace at the back. You can tell that that's CGI. But the the actual streets look like they may have constructed real sets. If the fight wasn't your highlight moment, what was your highlight of this episode? It have to be Rita, I think. Oh, just Rita in general? Yeah, I think the best bit was probably when she's picking up the rosary beads. <laughs> Having a little campy outburst yeah. April Belby's a, I need to see what else she's been in because I've I, she's not an actress whose name I really knew and her face isn't something that I would say I recognise from other shows that she's done but she seems like a really great actress I would say one of well I think all of them are actually really well cast but she is one of the best of the bunch I would agree and just seeing her character development across all these four episodes as well every week you just you see a little little extra bit of Rita that we haven't seen before so obviously she was in one episode of Titans. She was in two episodes of the TV series Heathers. She was also in one episode of the Big Bang Theory in 2017 as someone called Rebecca. 17 episodes of Two and a Half Men. Four episodes of How I Met Your Mother as someone called Meg slash Crazy Meg. CSI. The American version of Kath and Kim. Definitely never seen that. That's it. So she's not been in a huge amount actually. So that's, I'm not surprised then we don't really recognise her because she's only really been a bit of a bit part actress. Yeah, she was in what, CSI you said? So that's the Holby City of America. Yeah. <laughs> Are you harking back to when we were talking in an earlier episode about uh, Jovi and Wade as Cyborg? Yes. And his history on British TV. I definitely think my standout was that fight scene. I can't think... The whole episode is really solid when you watch it back a second time. Like we said, on first watch it does sometimes just strike you as being a little bit overly slow. But once you dive into it, there's actually, there is so much to mind in this episode. There's so much going on. Yeah. Definitely. No Justice League references this week. No, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. So we had nuns with razor blades. We had crazy magic and a big eye. That we certainly did. Anything else that you would like to add about this episode? I don't... Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Oh, final thoughts. I feel like I'm Jerry Springer now. 
So my final thoughts is that as an overall good episode, we get a lot of good character development, especially from Rita this time, which I really enjoyed. And I would have to give this episode a solid 7 out of 10. That's not bad. So I, as I said before, I gave it an 8 out of 10. If you are interested in reading my uh, review, my written review, then it is on the website now, along with reviews of every other episode and plenty of other TV series and movies as well. Uh, I realise we have done four episodes of this so far on Doom Patrol, and I haven't plugged the website once. So if you are interested in reading it, along with all the other stuff that's on there, then it's getyourcomicon.co.uk. We'll be back next week with the second part, which is called Poor Patrol, where the Doom Patrol will be teaming up with a pug to help save the universe. Oh, I'm very excited about that. It'll be interesting to see if your opinion on this episode changes slightly once you've seen the second half of the story. Yeah. Like, will the whole story together actually be a lot better of a whole product than the sum of its parts? Well, so maybe there'll be a part three. We don't have to wait. Well, yeah, I don't know if it goes beyond that because we don't know the episode titles. We will have to wait and see. So, until next time, super friends, stay safe. Bye!